we're here, here we at Greenwood. Yeah. We're so excited. Um, I'm a big fan of your brewery uh, you. ever since you guys opened. Um, I've really enjoyed your beer. So we're very excited to be here. Uh, you submitted three? Four. Four beers mm -hmm. to the awards. Yep. So we'll find out next week. Yeah. How you did. And, <laughs> and then you guys are going to be at the festival on the 22nd. So I'm very excited. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Megan Greenwood, our guest here, founder of That's Greenwood right. Brewing, downtown Phoenix. Is this downtown? Would you consider downtown oh, Roosevelt yeah, sure. Road? Yeah. Yep, yep. I know. I mean, the traffic would dictate it's downtown, right? Driving yeah. in here. So on a Friday. Oh, yeah. Um, that's tough. It's Friday afternoon. I didn't think about that. It, it's all right. But because we, we love coming down to downtown and enjoying good beers and Greenwood offers that. So did you guys um, open before or after Wilderness? Wait, after. After. But we were all in construction all at the same time. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, so let's start there with Megan here. Um, we're in the brewery room here, if you're watching on YouTube. Um, there's a tap room building just next to it. You had quite a story of construction, and it kind of got delayed, and your opening and all that delayed through all COVID, but you ended up opening, and now you're thriving, right? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, we So I actually started Greenwood in 2017, so um, I was working, I'm an engineer, I was working in manufacturing and for about 10 years before I started Greenwood and was a home brewer. And so when I was, um, actually I moved to Arizona from, I'm originally from the Midwest and I moved to Arizona and I uh, wanted to buy a house because at the time it was 2011, it was like post recession. I thought it was a good investment and I became like totally house poor and ended up with looking for a roommate and my roommate, um, turned out to be one of my really good friends. And one year for my birthday, he was like, he got me a brewery kit and was like, I really think you'd enjoy brewing. And so like the next weekend I started brewing. Um, and it was, a. It was actually a Belgian, um, a Belgian Trappel. Is that the one I have here? It's, just, it's called First Love. Is it, that... Yeah, it's a rendition of that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, um, it was well, it's in the same family, I should say. As okay. That. And uh, we we finished the first batch. I finished the first batch and um, drank it, and it was eleven percent alcohol and put, <laughs> like rose. You know, I had like rosy cheeks after I drank the first beer, and I was like oh my gosh, this is delicious. And we made it, you know, we, I made it in my kitchen and it was so cool. And it was like this product that I created from nothing. I absolutely loved that feeling. And uh, so fast forward about a year later, I had a full built out microbrewery in my garage that brewed, we, we brewed a barrel of beer every time we brewed. And um, I had eight beers on tap um, or it was a four, it was a four head Keezy or Keezer, um, and uh, we uh, would rotate through eight beers in that. And so we were very popular back then because we had, had a lot of friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we had, there were a lot of parties. My roommate was a like a chef, so he would oh make gosh. this delicious food, and we'd have all this delicious beer. Um, and so I just fell in love with brewing and really loved just making this really product and at the time I was making other products in my in my corporate life so um, I was building electrical equipment at that time in Chandler but I've made herbal essence of shampoo whirlpool refrigerators um, John Deere small square square balers if anybody's a if anybody's <laughs> a farmer you know what I'm talking about um, 
So that's the Midwest cycle, by the way. <laughs> yeah, if you do all of those, we're in the Midwest people yeah. from Iowa. Okay. And so all of these were made right in right in Iowa. Um, all that was manufactured in Iowa. So um, then when I moved and I, so I loved producing making things yeah. whatever that may be and then it was really really exciting to make a beer that was fun and made people happy you have um, me like so amped up because i just <laughs> i just uh got my first set of homebrewing equipment like last week and uh obviously too busy to do anything right now because we're putting that beer festival together next week but i'm What's hoping in the next month I, I think i want to do a um like a winter s- flavors saison, like something yeah. wintry, but a, a saison. Uh, and and this is this is something that y- you might be able to give me some uh, advice on because I'm having my first child in December, and so I want to have a, a a beer ready for when she's born. And then you just finished up your leave right <laughs> yeah. your maternity leave congrats you so have congratulations one month old now right thank you yes he's one month how um, is he we'll let you get a minute here to brag about him what do you yeah. want to say <laughs> about he him? drinking beer yet no, <laughs> yeah he's let me i drink um i've drank a couple beers since he's been born which is really exciting you know having a full glass versus just having little samples here <laughs> and there um no he's a great baby really sweet um He's he's four weeks old, so we are we're still in the no sleep stage. Yeah, uh, still figuring you, things. You have out. advice for Johan here when he has one? Um, I don't think there's any advice I can give you. <laughs> it's really not. They don't come it's, out with instructions. It's amazing how. Yeah, that's what I just keep hearing. There's nothing like, you can do to prepare. I don't just, think, just, yeah, except for have beer in the yeah, fridge. You know, yeah. just ooh, for, that's good advice. For later. Sage. So I'm hoping <laughs> that I'll have a good five gallons of beer just ready to go. <laughs> there that's you go. Great. You should have it bottled and ready to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> not just in the carboy, but. All the way done yeah. <laughs> so that you don't have to worry about it at all. That's the that's the plan. Will there be a beer named for the little guy here um, pretty you know, soh maybe. You know, that's a good... Uh, when we named, we named our Hazy IPA Emera, mm-hmm. and uh, I, at the time, I didn't know I wasn't pregnant, and but I, I was like, wow, that's a really good baby name. I, I, I'm mad that we used that for this beer because I was like, well, I guess I could name the... A girl baby after yeah, our go. beer name. Who knows? You never know. So don't steal that one, Johan. Yeah, no. yeah. That's hers. All right. <laughs> yeah. Is it are you having a girl? We are. Oh, that's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yes. So yeah. one of the things that um I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about, because you were talking about the the whole um and it's been well reported, the the history of um, like 2020 and when yeah. you were trying to open down here um, it's well known that you know you guys were trying to open what in like February got kept getting pushed back pushed back into opening in July of that summer yeah. thinking about it now two years later how do you reflect on that knowing how chaotic it was or uncertain it was are you able to reflect on that and yeah. just takeaways from that whole time Yeah. You know, it's funny. I remember at the time, so we started construction in 2018. So I started Greenwood in 2017, but, um, I was, I was brewing on the West side. I was brewing at Freakin. It was on this building. It was all the construction. Construction started in 2018 on this building. Yeah. So, um, I had, uh, I was actually renting space. I say that 
for people who aren't beer people, but I was I was actually acting as a DBA under Freakin Brewing Company because in the state of Arizona, you have to have a fully built out microbrewery before you can get a microbrewer's license. Oh, the old Freakin up in Peoria, yes. right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so I had gone and just knocked on doors in 2017 asking um, if anybody would let me brew on their system and figuring out how to do that then and brew Greenwood beer on their system, the only way to do that was to operate it as a DBA under their license. So they okay. took all the risk. Um, and I was so lucky to find them. Um, and I actually was connected through their tap room person, um, but it was great. They were, they were looking for somebody to fill their fermenters at the same time as I was looking to fill somebody's fermenters. So um, we ended up, I, so, in 2018 then is when I was looking for a space. I ended up, I was looking at, um, I was talking to banks because I wanted to self-fund the whole project. And uh, I was talking to banks at the beginning before I had started even producing a product. And this woman, I remember this woman being like, Oh, that's adorable. You want to start a brewery. You oh, no. are this engineer who has never worked in a brewery before. Um, you she, want to borrow a million blood, dollars. Bless her heart. Yes. Type bless your heart. Yeah. Oh, no. um, and that's kind of what I heard from all banks at that time. But she was, she said, you know, you have to have a proof of concept before anybody's going to take you seriously. Uh -huh. And so that's when I ended up working with Freakin. And I started selling my products into um then I started selling Greenwood Brewing into restaurants and bars throughout Arizona without even having the brewery. But then, so then uh, the way that it worked then was when I went out, because I had been selling my product, when I went out to get a loan, um, I was then seen as an expansion instead of a startup because I had been in business selling into the market mm -hmm. for a certain wow. amount of time. So for a year it was. And um, so... So that mean they took you a little less serious, or more, they, or more they serious than oh, okay. when yeah. it was seen as an expansion. Yeah, okay. So even though at the time I think I my first year I had like twenty thousand dollars in top line gross sales, mm -hmm. you know, and um, even with that they still saw it as an expansion. So I could get an SBA loan um, through a bank that. Uh, and they didn't see me as a startup, so it wasn't high risk. That's awesome. Um, so that's how we ended. I ended up getting this loan, my loan to start the start this project. So um, found this location. I was actually I was living five minutes away from here in Skyline Lofts, just a five minute walk. And I'd walk up Fifth Street with my roommate, and I'd be like, oh, I want to start a brewery right here. This is where I want to start a brewery. And at the time, I still was working a full time job too. And there was no breweries on Roosevelt. No, no breweries on Roosevelt. What was this? Was it just empty lot? This was a vacant parcel. Okay. Yeah. Empty lot. And, um, so I'd walk up fish street, but all fish street is, is Crossman style, style houses. So yeah. there was really nowhere to build there, like have a brewery. You couldn't fit a brewery in that. And I ended up, um, so one of my customers was changing hands bookstore. Um, they have a bar called first draft book yep. bar in the bar. Right. And, uh, and my only beer, which I'm drinking right now, um, was the Her Story, uh, was a Her Story Pale Ale. That was the only beer I had. So I was one of one employees, was brewing, selling, delivering, doing all the business work, <laughs> kegging, you know, seller work, everything. Um, and then I had one beer available. So when I'd go to restaurants and ask them and I'd be like, hey, I'm Megan from Greenwood Brewing and 
I'd like to sell my product and can, can I introduce you to Greenwood and, and sell and show you my beer? And they're like, yeah, bring your whole lineup. Uh, or no, they would actually say, no, we're full first. Like they'd be like, no, we're good. Thank you. And I'd be like, well, I'm a woman owned brewing company. All my brewers are women. And it was like one of one of one. And you were lying though, right? I wasn't was lying. I wasn't you should lying. have been in marketing. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> and, um, and then they'd be like, yeah, bring your portfolio. I was like, great. Here it is. One of one. Yeah. My one beer that is available. Um, but the her story uh first draft was perfect for them because it was a bookstore so her story and the owner um was her name cindy dash one of the owners and she was like you know megan we're i have this property on fish street in roosevelt and i really want to turn it into a beer garden and i was like oh my god i'm oh, looking to build i want to build downtown on fish street and it was like harmony you know like a match made in heaven and so so, so random. She had this, so cool. this parcel. Huh? She had this parcel wow. available. Cool and story. So she um, she was like, let's let's you know talk about it. Let's talk about what could happen. And so fast forward, we ended up with this design um, where we adapt. We re renovated the tap room that was um, I Lounge Art Gallery, which just then now is still on our property. It's just in the on the other in the other building. And then Ben's Bells was a nonprofit that just moved down the street on Roosevelt. And so we renovated that. And then this was a new build. Um, this whole building was is, is brand new, built around the brewery. Yeah. Um, and so we started that start, the whole process started in the middle of 2018. And by the time so we started construction, we started like construction. Um, we started drawings at the end of 2018. It took us an entire year to get through the city of Phoenix. Um, we started construction at the end of 2019. And um, and with the intention of opening in March, um, with the intention of opening in February, and then we were going to open in March, was gonna yep. be like a grand opening. Right. And um, so, so at the time, obviously like you go through, you think back about it, and you, you heard about this COVID thing, but nobody was taking it seriously. Um, and then somebody in our team got COVID. Um, and I remember it, the day that we found out, it was like our whole, with our whole construction team. So like somebody got COVID and uh, we were all standing in the brewery, like trying to figure out how to get the equipment in. And the equipment was coming that day and we shut down the entire site. And the only people who could be, be here were like the, the rigging company that was actually putting the equipment in everybody else had to leave so we were installing the most important part of this entire project and the whole like the whole site had to shut down oh man um and i just remember like i remember walking at the time walking through my neighborhood and i was like when when all this was happening and you you expect challenges when you're building you know and you expect challenges of like the it was really difficult. The construction side, like construction was hard. It was stressful. It was, it was just high stress. Everybody was high stress. Absolutely. And most yeah. people will tell you that yeah. in the construction project. Um, and so you're expecting that, you know, but you're not expecting to be mandatory shutdown mm -hmm. or um, to not know if you're going to be able to continue financially. Um, and I remember walking and I was like, what do we do? 
Um, at that point, uh, the mandatory shutdowns had started um, and it was like, do I stop? Like, do you just stop and put put it all like on the back burner and just hold, push, push hold on the whole, like your whole yeah, dream? Yeah, the dream, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I was like, you know what, no. But and it was it's like depressing like at sure. the time because you're like we put so much effort into this. Um, the and hardest thing about that whole time period is the uncertainty. Yeah, it's like not knowing what. Right. Like, half half of us were thinking the zombie apocalypse was around the corner. So like right. you don't you usually yeah, have a. I can't even imagine what starting a business at that time was. Like. <laughs> yeah, well, and luckily, so in hindsight, luckily we had we were supposed to open in February, like you said, Matt, and. When we were getting ready to open um, the tap room interior design, I I didn't like it, and I wasn't super excited about how we were what was happening. And it was like the end of January that this was happening, and I was like, I just don't know if this is what I want. I'm not really excited about this. I was walking through with one of my colleagues, and she was like, "You need to love it. You need to love your tap room." And I was like, "You're right." So I pushed pause on construction for two weeks. And I was like, and I ate the cost. Like, you know, I had to actually pay for construction people to still be on our our payroll or whatever. And I was like, no, we need to stop. And um, we ended up hiring an interior design firm called Mackenzie Collier Interiors. And she designed our interior space for the tap room. And so that I would love it. So that two weeks actually pushed us into March. And so instead of opening in February, having all of our people, all of our staff, everything like, you know, going, all of our lease payments, everything, it didn't actually start because the shutdowns happened before we opened, which was in hindsight, a blessing in disguise. At the time I was like, I can't believe we're not opening in February. We're gonna miss one of the most, the biggest sales months of the whole year. And then, um, and then because of that, we didn't. I didn't have a whole tap room staff, so um, which was great. So I didn't have to lay people off, which would have really. I didn't have. I had. I did have one person employed at the time, and um, and so th- that was something that at least we were at that stage where I hadn't. I I didn't have to like let everybody go that we had just hired, um, but going back to um, what I was thinking before was. Uh, ultimately the decision was putting one foot in front of the other you know you can't you can't there was nobody knew what was going to happen Um, nobody could predict and so it was just all we can do all I can do is just keep moving forward and keep moving forward with the plan as we can and um, and and then we'll just see what comes and what happens yeah and now here we are. And now here we are. And it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah, what a story cool story. Of, uh, you know, dogged persistence. Yeah. And the the, the name of the work, beer yeah. is even more, I think, is even more like appropriate now because yeah. there's like there's an even bigger story behind it now too. Yeah. Yeah. True. And I actually love this beer. It's like <laughs> one of my favorite beers. Um, but we, yeah, I mean, we ended up so we ended up opening in July. Um, which was also, even then it was controversial. I mean, um, but by that point, people don't realize that, um, we had a, a, I have a very large loan on this whole project. You know, the whole, we built this building together, the landowners and myself. So 
Where there's still, I can't remember where there's still like uh, restrictions on indoor dining oh, yeah. and all that. But yeah. You had to have food. Oh, sure. Um, so, which was a whole nother ball game. And then every everyone had to be seated outside. Yeah. In the middle of July huh. in Arizona. Um, I, I don't understand the problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But luckily, we like. And that was like the hottest feet. summer too on it record. Was. It was miserable that summer. It was so hot. Yeah. But our beer garden was full all the time, you know, and we had a community that just supported us. Um, but honestly, so our our lease payments were due, our my loan payments were due, like everything was starting. And um, I had my head brewer that was on, ready to go. We had Kristen, um, I had Lisa, our head of sales was already, like all, we had these people that were ready to start and actually were already on payroll. And all of that was coming out of, you know, my checking account, right, you know, like, right. That and people don't know that about business ownership is like if you don't have sales, that comes from you, exactly. you know. And so, and there was I, nothing coming into that checking account, no, imagine, right? Nothing. right? Right, and there hadn't been since 2018, uh -huh. you know. So it took us two years to to build it. Um, so I always tell people keep your full time job as long as you can, um, because you don't you don't know what you're going to need. Um, but we, uh, yeah, so we had to open mm -hmm. um and so at that point we could open there weren't restrictions in arizona anymore for opening and and at, until the day before we opened um and i remember this so clearly i was sitting on my on the couch of one of my friends um how at one of my friend's houses and we were watching governor ducey give his updates if you remember he, oh yeah he gave the COVID updates or yeah. whatever and he shut down all bars in Arizona the day before we were getting, we were ready to open. Um, and so we were literally, our grand opening was the next day. And we were like, what do we do? What do we do? And at that point, like I had maxed out all of my credit cards by then. Um, there was no money left. And it was like, nope, we have to open. And so, Breweries could open, tap rooms could open because our primary purpose was the production of beer. And so restaurants could stay open and breweries could stay open. And so we opened the very next day and it was super controversial. We had like all these protocols in place. We had hand sanitizer everywhere. You know, we had I, I just, it was chaos, but we had a line down the street and we had people calling being like, why are you open and calling the police being like, why are these people open? Um, and so it was, we had the police show up literally asking us like that question. Right. Um, right. But we could, we could open. It was, but it was so, it was a time that I never want to go back to. For sure. But it was hard. Yeah. And, and it, it's a story you can tell. Is it, is it, is it like a story out of, kind of like nostalgia or is it like do you are you still frustrated by that whole thing how, how how do you think about that now you know um i, I think it was traumatic uh, you know <laughs> mm -hmm. when i think back about it it was like traumatic uh i feel like so many people went through trauma during that time yeah. you know it was just like um but we 
no, it's definitely, I'm not upset about it anymore. I think now we're just, you know, forward only. Sure. So to, to lighten the mood. Yeah. No, it's good to have your time. Uh, yeah. Going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, say. Yeah. So since then, um, yeah. you know, obviously you guys have, I mean, people know about you, people rave about you. Um, tell us like, give us some highlights of yeah. the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So since then, since that time, I mean, and the great thing is like, we never had to close where we've been open. Our team is amazing. I mean, if you've met them, come in our tap room. They're so great. Um, our head brewer, Kristen Luperello, runs our beer program now. Uh, and then we've had a few assistant brewers now. Um, Anthony Martin is our assistant brewer here. And they're thriving. I mean, it takes, no matter what, even with COVID or without COVID, you're in survival mode the first two years anyway. Uh, we're just getting to a point where we just hired a head of marketing. I just hired a, a tap room manager, you know, within the last six months. Um, so, and these are very critical people in a business, um, but you, you don't, you have to build up to be able to do that. Um, and so you're in survival mode, but we have, you know, what's been really exciting is all the beer that we've made, first of all, um, which is, has been surprisingly delicious from day one. Um, we made a, our first beer that we made was a Kolsch. And um, it was like we ended up turning it into a grapefruit Kolsch because it was summer and it was refreshing with grapefruit in it. I've had it. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, it became one of our <laughs> most good. popular yeah, beers. It's very good. <laughs> um, and we, I remember Kristen and I, like our first brew, we were, um, you just have no idea. It's all brand new equipment. We have this manifold that we built and we're like, we don't know if this works. You know, like we're not really sure how to use this equipment. It's all this is the first time using it. And um, we, we tried the beer and we were like, oh my God, it's good. Like we can drink it, it's actually beer. And um, I remember from then, you know, like from then on, brew days are the best days in here. Um, when you have, it's, it's just, when you have your brew day, you know that it's gonna be a fun day. It's gonna be, um, everybody's gonna, it's, it's not an easy day, it's like, it's still like you're st still sweating, um, but it is like you're making the product that everybody's going to enjoy. Uh, and so yeah, we've I heard brew days are pretty long days, right? They can be, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, our brew days are, the more you brew, obviously, like the more efficient it becomes. Sure. They Today, they brew in shorter times than I brewed my little 30 gallon <laughs> in my garage. You know, it took me 12 hours today they are brewing and cleaning and out of here in eight to nine hours so they're pretty efficient um but yeah i mean we've been really lucky our and our team has been awesome is there a beer that smells better on brew day than other beers like i'm looking at the list uh, like like the, the kolsch or the maybe a goza or maybe coconut porters or one that um that you like the aroma of more I, than I i can't okay you're gonna think that i'm saying this just because i'm drinking it and i love this beer but i do love the her story day the pale ale um, gets the pale also ale good yeah. really it's um because the the grain is um we use pale malt and um and it's so it's and we used to use maris otter um and so it, it's really it's like biscuity and it smells like kind of like bread nice um and i really like that smell uh that's probably one of my favorites 
is the her story when we brew the her story you can kind of tell it's that day even when you're outside that's awesome yeah yeah that's awesome so uh some of your flagships you've had here you know, you talked a lot about her story uh purpose pilsner i think i've seen that in cans at total wine yeah. am i correct in the emera and you mentioned that earlier yeah i've had that one um picked that up at total wine i was really pleasantly surprised when i won when i saw it on the cans because you figure you're so new how are you in total wine so but um so I picked that up just because I wanted to, that was my first Greenwood beer was that Emerald, uh, Emra hazy light. Um, what's it? A light hazy IPA. Yeah. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Really, really nice and crushable. Um, drink that during the summer, drink that, Love that. um, you know, like early in the afternoon. Um, I, I really enjoyed that one a lot. And, Good. um, I noticed on your website, one of the ones that kind of stood out to me was, the sunny mango cream mm-hmm. that they say on on your website it says it's your wildest style. Why is that? Um, so, Kristen and I, uh, I'd say we both really like to enhance. We like to make traditional beer, uh, and you know we like. She would tell you that she wants to go out and have a beer. She doesn't want sure. to drink cereal, um, and so <laughs> <laughs> she. Um, And I feel the same way. I like to drink. And so elevating traditional beer is really our goal. And so we typically don't add a lot of adjuncts to our beer, but there are times that we do, for example, the grapefruit Kolsch. I mean, the Kolsch was really delicious. And we were like, this would be so good with grapefruit. And at the time I had figured out a way to add grapefruit well to a beer and it was really really yummy and it turns out to be one of our most popular beers all year um or like our blueberry wheat we submitted that to the competition um that's the one that tastes like a blueberry muffin right um it's it's pretty mild in blueberry is it so it's it's beautiful beer um it's a wheat beer and we add organic blueberry from maine uh and most of it is uh, the puree, and then we add a little. I, I think she adds a little bit of like a um, of a like more of a uh, concentrated version of the blueberry. But um, we, it's it's bright. It's like it's really light. It's not super. It's not like a, a blueberry flavor that's going to be artificial. It's right. very it's, it doesn't. It's not colored blue, right? No, it's pink. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's pink. It's pink. Okay. Yes. So when you if you open up the blueberry, the you know it's oh yeah pink yeah flesh. sure, and that's so it's a pink a pink beer, but it's really refreshing and more light blueberry flavor. Um, and so we do that. We do add that, but the mango is the weirdest beer that we make. Um, it is kind of like a creamsicle. We add lactose to it. We add mango mango to it. So it's like, and then it's on nitro. So it's Ugh. this creamsicle, mango creamsicle kind of beer. Um, do you have it on tap right now? We do have it on tap I'll right now. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, I know, you're empty. You need that's, a beer. That's, that's my kind, to me, that's my kind. I, I love anything with any beer with lactose and anything that's kind of weird and funky and different and interesting. Like I, I love traditional beers. Uh, I'll, I'll drink beer of any kind. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's funny when I first started going to, to breweries and you know, the bartenders would ask like, well, what kind of beer do you like? I used to have a specific thing. And now when they ask me that, I'm like, 
I don't know what what day of the week it is it. Yeah, what right. time of day is Am it? Am I eating food? Is it is it December? Is it July? <laughs> Am I eating? Well, like it's it's like the whole run of the things. But you tell me a uh, a mango creamsicle, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like. I need to try that. Sunny mango cream on nitro. That sounds There's not a lot of breweries that do one nitro and things like a, a sunny or a, a mango milkshake type. Yeah. Type one. So, and there's not a lot that do uh, Belgian trapels either. And this is on all the time, right? This is the flagship. It is. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I've been uh, searching for these more and more since I've been hanging out with Johan and he is his kind of beard, you know, <laughs> um, he's getting me off the West Coast IPAs a little bit more. Um, and this is fantastic. I know where to go for a good one now. Thank you. So. Yeah. Well, so the Belgian, so the Belgian Trapel, if when I first started brewing, that was all I drank were Belgians. Uh-huh. So I'd go to King's and buy a bunch of Belgians and we'd sit around at my house. I lived in Chandler, so we lived um, and I'd sit with my friends and we'd try all these Belgians. And so that first love is my first recipe that I made of a Belgian chapelle and from homebrew days. So that came from homebrew, now brewed commercially. Um, Kristen's put her spin on it a little bit and and so, and so that that beer is near and dear. That's why it's called First Love because it was our first love. I love that. Um, was this Belgian Chapelle? And so I totally am on your page right yeah. now. I'm kind of, I don't know, having a baby. I feel like I'm all over the place with beer, but I feel like I'm more in the pails again. Um, but the Belgians will always, will always have a little piece of my heart there. I definitely cycle through. Yes. You know, like mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like music for me too. It's like I'll, I'll go through a phase or like a period of time where I'm you know really into hazies, and then and I'll go and I want nothing but like you know Kolsch's and yes and Hell's Lagers and like all just like all those like light crispy uh, German beers, and then and then I'll do some Belgians for a bit, and then the winter will come around, and I'm like nothing but barrel-aged monsters and then it's just it it comes in cycles so that's yeah that's beer that's what i love about beauty there's always something oh totally that's the beauty and people always ask us how do we decide what we're going to make and that's how you decide you know what's in the air today you know what how is this what's the season what are people interested what are people interested in well and that's that's i think that's how this different seasonal beers came around, right? Like when they were first brewing beer and they wanted to celebrate, you know, the original Oktoberfest for yeah. what's his face's birthday or whatever. <laughs> like that was his favorite kind of beer. So they brewed it for that. Now we call that an Oktoberfest beer. Yeah. And then, you know, in the winter, you didn't want to maybe drink as refreshing beers. You wanted something that'll warm you up. And so you, you drank those like, heavier yeah, more you know beers. so it's just like naturally they all those beer styles fit into their season based on what beer drinkers like to drink mm-hmm. totally what i do love about a belgian though is that it is i feel like it is all seasons it's perennial yeah yeah it is <laughs> it's perennial um it is because like it's warm you know it's yeah. 9.2 it's a warm beer it's going to be high in alcohol um but then you, it's still really refreshing. And even the, like the clove and banana yeah. that you get out of it is perfect for the summer. Yeah. So it's it's one of our most popular. It's just a stable beer that, same with the Her Story. It just like, 
it's like our base, you know, it just yeah. is. Um, but the Emra, I'm glad you said the Emra because that beer was a total, that was a lot of the reason why I wanted to start Greenwood um, was because I, uh, at the time I was, this was 2016. I was, look, I was going to bars and restaurants and I was having a lot of my conversations with, um, with my employees or my customers over beer. So being an engineer, most of the people who I call, who I was a sales engineer, so I would design equipment and sell it to companies. And so I'd go and I'd, my customer was an engineer and most of them were men. And I come from the Midwest, so I'm a beer person by very early on in my life. Too early to tell, honestly. <laughs> um, but so I would, I was like, yeah, let's go have a beer. Let's have a beer and have a conversation about X, Y, Z. And at the time I was like, I'd go out and even though I was home brewing and I had all this beer on tap, I had all this knowledge of beer and I would get stereotyped when I would go out that maybe that, oh, we have this on tap. We have this blueberry wheat, whatever. I would tell you, you love the blueberry wheat. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes <laughs> sure. I do want the barrel aged salad. Right. And um, so I was wondering if other women felt that way. And, uh, and so I started doing some research on women and beer. And I Google searched women in beer. And the images that came up were either women in bikinis or women in lederhosen, which is so appropriate for this weekend. Um, but that was all that I could find. There was not like, but then you searched men in beer and it was like all these men having a good conversation over craft beer. And I was like, I wonder why, like what, why is it like that? And then I found that there was only 2% of breweries were owned by women in the whole country. And so when you're making beer, you're thinking about yourself as a consumer. Um, and it's just natural that you think about that. So 78% of breweries are men owned full, and then 20% of breweries are women and men owned, and then 2% are women owned. And so I was like, okay, so I found that found that out. And then I did some of my research, some research on my own. So I surveyed 200 women to see what they liked. And then, um, I found research from the Brewers Association that said that over 70% of women felt underrepresented, 70% of women beer drinkers felt underrepresented in the beer industry and that they also felt like they weren't being marketed to. And so I was like, well, that's so easy. Like beer is beer, there's no gender with beer, but women need to feel included just like men feel included. You know, it's like men naturally, like beer has always had this kind of masculine identity. Sure but women love beer and are growing up with beer and are growing up with craft beer now, right? So like when I was in college, I remember um, Sierra Nevada coming available like in, in my bar. And I was like, what is this? What is this beer? And it was so gross to me at the time. Like I was like, this is so disgusting. What is this thing? Hops, what? Um, and like all these people were raving about uh, Boston Beer Company, you know, and like Sam Adams and people loved that beer. And, um, but that was just becoming available. I'll call it the Midwest, whatever, my small town, my small ass town that had no, you know, craft beer on tap. Um, but that was just starting when I was in college. But now all these, you know, 21 year olds are growing up with craft beer readily available down the street, their local tavern, right? Yep. And um, so it was like, okay, so how do we create this 
business where we're also we're also targeting women. We're targeting men, oh, of course, but we're also targeting women and making sure she's feeling included too. And so that Emra um, was one of the beers that came out of my survey um, of being a beer that women wanted. They wanted something that was um, that was kind of that was easy drinking, low ABV, low calorie, but still really refreshing and juicy. And um, and so we brewed that beer. But now it's so funny. My husband loves that beer. We have to have it in our fridge all the time. And men love that beer. And more men drink that beer than women in our tap room. I'm telling you, I, I like a good like a session IPA or something. I, I mean, guys kind of care about their figures every now and then. Yeah, too. And, totally. You know, if you're like me and you can't really grow a beard, too, like I could I can kind of fit in maybe in a way that. Like the women feel, you know, when they go into a brewery, like you're not, you're not like one of the bearded guys in the brewery. But <laughs> yeah, you're I, I mean, unique. it's a, it's you're a little rare. bit different of a, of a situation, yeah. but um, I will, I will say, I remember, you know, cause there's so many breweries, like you said, that are, that are male owned that you walk in, you feel like you just walked into like a garage Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, a lot of time that's the owners, like design choice and everything, but I, I, I distinctly remember going into your tap room for the first time and making a comment to my wife and being like, this feels very like Chip and Joanna Gaines, sort of like, like it's friendly, it's, it's welcoming. Like you feel like you're walking into like a, a friend's living room, not like a friend's garage. You and should have this on the home and garden home tour or yeah, garden tour, right? right? Yeah. But I remember like distinctly being like, this doesn't feel like, like a man cave. It feels like a place that everybody would like to come to. Yeah. And so it's cool that that's something that you put so much research and effort into creating because that is distinctly what I remember thinking when I walked into your tap room that it was like, everybody would like to be here. I mean, yeah, even, for sure. even from like the font that you use for your signage and everything, like it's like... And the colors and everything. Yeah, yeah. And in the feel, beer garden area. With it doesn't the, feel um, bro -y, yeah, you know? And, yeah. and I think that's really cool that you were so intentional about that. Yeah, thank you. Well, one of the, one of the questions we had on our survey for women was, what do you prefer to, what venue do you prefer to go to? And it was like, um, do you prefer to go to casual dining, fine dining, breweries, um, or anywhere with a good environment? And overwhelmingly, it was like 80% of the people said anywhere with a good environment. And if you ask women that today, um, she will say the same thing. She needs to feel comfortable right. to go into your establishment. So if you have a garage feel establishment, doesn't matter if it's a brewery or not, if it's dark and dingy and the bathrooms are kind of creepy, she's probably not going to go back again. Right. Um, and so that, and that's naturally in my head. Um, but we get, we hear that all the time from our customers. We get a lot of dates. We get a lot of first dates here because it's very easy. <laughs> Men like to bring women here because well, it's a brewery. A, and you have a beer called First Love. You know, maybe maybe there's like a connection have there, there. Have there been a lot of like, uh, have you followed up on that? Are there um, <laughs> I, marriages that come out of First I dates think we've had a few relationships. I don't know about marriages yet, but... Um, we definitely have a few relationships that have come out of first dates here. Very good. We're going to maybe have, we'll have to feature that in the magazine <laughs> yeah. in a couple no, of man. years. You know, families that have started here at Greenwood. Yeah. Right. I think that's a good that's I mean, that's a testament to it, though. Like you say that it's 
they want to go get a good beer, but they don't necessarily want to go to like a dive bar or something like that. Like right. this is the perfect spot for that. Cause yeah. like you said, you walk in, it's like bright, it's welcoming. Like it's, it's just warm. Like yeah. it's very like comfortable. And yeah. it's not, Thanks. you, and you're not dropping $500 at like a fancy steakhouse or something, <laughs> you know, right. it's, it's still a, um, a perfect first date romantic kind of setting here where you don't have to totally impress the the person on on the yeah <laughs> right what's a away, few right? beers probably you're leaving here with a 20 or 30 dollar bill that's exactly. pretty easy exactly yeah totally yeah we, it's funny we do have a lot of first dates um, um is that you, talking about your neighborhood here um how, how have you seen roosevelt row come along over the years that you've been here now yeah so i moved to downtown in 2016 mm-hmm. and um at the time, it was so that I could start really starting Greenwood, um, and I really I wanted to find a space that um, I wanted to be in an environment personally that was going to grow my creativity, and I wasn't finding that in Chandler at the time. Um, since then, Chandler has blown up and has really cute stuff. For sure. Um, but at the time, it was very family friendly, and uh, I, I didn't have a family. I was a single woman at the time, and I moved to downtown, and I, and it was perfect. It was a perfect timing to move downtown. Um, at the time, I remember our parking lot was totally empty in my, in my apartment complex, and I, there was maybe like fifteen cars in it, and I didn't really think about it at the time that correlate oh, that means that this apartment complex isn't even full, you know, that there's not very many cars in the parking lot. And then when I left in 2019, the whole parking lot was full. All the, the entire ramp was full. And so between those three years, um, downtown just blew up, which is awesome. Yeah. And then, and then my sister, um, who's also my head of sales, she moved, she is, um, eight years younger than me. And she was graduating college at the time um, that I was starting Greenwood. And she moved to Arizona. And I remember her her and her friends were selecting downtown Phoenix as their place to live, moving from out of state, which I remember at the time was like, no one would have considered downtown Phoenix. <laughs> three, even three years ago, yeah, even right. four years ago. I grew know? up in Phoenix like no. No. When I was growing up, you didn't go. You didn't you didn't come down here. Right. Like ever. Ever. And then and I remember being like, you're considering moving downtown as your first choice? This is there's something here. Yeah. You know, there's definitely something here. And I thought that was so exciting. And even since then, you know, downtown has grown and there's a lot of controversy controversy around downtown Phoenix growing because it's losing a little bit of what's character of what it was. But what I the way that I see downtown is I see it as in its adolescent stage still. Arizona in general is still an adolescent. Let's be you know, be honest here. It's only our centennial was in 2012. So, you know, we're still very young. Well, state. And, even. and to the point of like, you didn't like downtown didn't become a place you even went to right. until the last five years. And so it's super adolescent in that. Yeah. Like the culture of downtown is old, still being old houses here were built in like the seventies, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry. Right. And so, and I think even to your point, downtown used to be, you know, in like the fifties and sixties was really popular. And so, and then it kind of lost, 
faded out. And in the nineties, it was like so dangerous to come down here. Right. And then, so now I see it as I, I really love what's happening. I think we need some fine dining downtown. Um, so anybody that wants to open up fine dining, please do. Uh, we need some more shopping, but I think it's just on this trajectory that I think is so exciting. Um, we hit, we had a hit during COVID. Um, our, our, our street and especially had a hit. So Fifth Street, you used to walk up Fifth Street and it was lively. There were people everywhere. It's kind of like rainy street in Austin. Yeah. And it still is like rainy street in Austin. It looks just like it in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I never thought about that, but that's so true. It does. My friend <laughs> sent me a Snapchat of rainy street and I'm like, are you across the street? I was yeah. like, this looks just like this street. Yeah. Um, but I, so, you know, so we have vacant business. We have vacant buildings still that are still lingering from COVID. Yeah. Uh, but I think that in even five years, it's going, there's going to be so many more people walking. It's yeah. going to be so lively. Um, there are 30 story buildings, big apartment complexes, condos being built all over the place down here. Um, yeah, the kind of buildings where the dog park is on the on the roof, those type of buildings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, and you guys get to be like central to all that, which yeah. I think that's so cool. I mean, the, absolutely. You, you're you're a, a kind of an icon of Roosevelt now. So anything that grows around you, like you just get to be yeah, there's that. A, there's a great beer yeah. call down here between Greenwood. Petal House, Wilderness, the Theodore down there. Um, Angel's Trumpet has been here, I don't that, know how um, long, for, for decades. But Throne. Yeah. Throne, uh, Throne yeah. is a little bit down more towards Central. It, it's it's a walk down that way. But um, yeah, that's that, that's, that's just got to be more benefit to come down downtown Phoenix and, and help. That just helps you guys, right? Of course. No, yeah. I totally agree. We need to do better. All of us business owners need to do better at formulating like an actual bar crawl but i think i know i know a magazine that might be able to help <laughs> yeah, i know an great. events guy no, <laughs> seriously that would be awesome honestly i was like brewery row <laughs> roosevelt row brewery row you know let's all put our marketing dollars and actually make this brewery row yeah. because it really is becoming that yeah, Mesa is trying to develop that. Like Mesa's, you know, they're like we have all the the breweries Brewery and trail the tap room. Like that, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that sort of thing. But um, Roosevelt Row is right there with it. I know. Um, and then Safe Haven is opening right across our alley. Oh yeah. Um, so that's another brewery. So it's literally just one stop to the next. Um, Love that. Yeah, I and it's like you said, it's only collaborative. So. What, we get a lot of people from the airport that come. Yes. Because we're one of the closest breweries to the airport. Yeah, the guys from Grand Avenue were telling us that, too. Oh, people really? People just airport, and they come right there, or they, they come here, right? Yeah, and so this is their first stop awesome. a lot of the time when they get into town. is like they're waiting for their Airbnb. This is a classic story. Like, everybody comes in. They're waiting for their Airbnb. They're here for a bachelor party or bachelorette party, and they come to the brewery, and they're sitting there, and... They're, they come here because they see all these places that yep. they can go, all these breweries. And they're, they are, visitors are already figuring that out. So 
we just need to promote it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to wait till that four o'clock check in sometimes. The so. unofficial yeah. start line of the Roosevelt Row beer tour. There I you love go. It. Yeah, I mean, that, so you guys open at 11. So that is yeah. actually very good thinking on your part. Because if you didn't open till like two or three, they would just pass right over. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I know we, I go always go back and forth about. The hours are hours, mm-hmm. and I just haven't I haven't changed them. That eleven o'clock, I'm just sticking to it. Hey, eleven is a perfectly acceptable time to start drinking beer. In my I opinion. agree. I, so I, I, uh, I was in a, a spot in uh, Oceanside, California, last week on vacation, and there was a coffee they have good shop beer there that I'm served beer. <laughs> I won't, I won't mention all the beer that I drank there, but yeah. the one coffee shop, I go up there for coffee on a Sunday morning at seven o'clock and there's a guy just drinking beer yeah. on the tap room. Yeah. So some places do it earlier than you. I'm, I'm, I'm just it's saying, true. Like, but they had coffee and you know breakfast sandwiches. And oh, yeah. So. You go to Sip Coffee and Beer Garage. Right, and right. Same situation. So here it's bring your own food, right? Bring your own food. Bring your own food. Have it on the on the beer garden area. Have it in the tap room. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool. Sometimes you have really food cool vendors place, outside. Yeah. Too, yeah right? We and we also have um, QR codes on every table for our neighbors, so you can actually deliver get food delivered right to your oh, table. Oh, like the Il Bosco pizza. Il Bosco pizza yeah. and tap that. Um, AZ uh, food and then across the street ATL wings just opened up so Ooh, all oh, they're so good yeah what about uh, a taco cello taco cello is not on there yet okay we're still working with them okay trap house is nearby right trap house is right next right them? across the street yep. so we get a lot of people who grab trap house and come that's awesome. eat here because that space is a little small um, and then of course you can have delicious beer with your barbecue, which there's no better combination um, than yummy barbecue and delicious beer. So that Matt, was in, have you had ATL wings yet? No. But um, oh, my kids trying also. to do that. So yeah. Big fan. So we, we had we actually had that in the in the magazine. That what what local food or nearby food would you pair with your beer? Remind us um, I actually what you said, said Chula there. seafood. Okay. I, um I really like so Chula at the time I was I I mean, it, I love chula seafood. Have you, have, have you been there? They were at our dish fest our in dish February, fest. Yeah. and I think that was the first time I had ever had them. Yeah. And I I still, to this day, remember always it's, it was a tuna melt. And you think of that word to me has always been kind of, you know, oh, gross, a tuna melt. When you think about it, you know, your Midwest roots, you think about tuna melts and like how good can it be? But that was the most fantastic thing I've ever had. I mean, it was it was so good, and yes. I, I just kept going back to that table for more. And it, even though it was like wait, a you right ate amount of heat day? and everything, I did. Oh my I gosh, tried, I, that's lucky. That's, that's the beauty of being the digital guy <laughs> because I can just be like, hey, let's put you on yeah. Instagram, and I everyone shove keeps my face. everyone keeps asking if I'm excited about putting on a beer festival, and I keep having to tell them like it's not like I'm going to be able to walk around and drink the whole time. Right, like, right. I'm going to be working and making sure all the drunkies don't get like hurt or anything. So <laughs> yes, or yeah, Chula is legit. They're, they're that yeah. tuna melt, man. It's, there's a reason why that's yeah. like best of the Valley all the time. Yes. So you were saying that's, is that still your choice? I mean, if I'm going to eat, if I'm going to eat food in general, like if I'm going to make myself some food or if I'm going to go out, I mean, beer and barbecue. Yeah. It's heavenly. Yeah. Um, I'd say wings and bar- and beer heavenly pizza and beer. You know, I feel like a lot of, I like to consume my beverages with food a lot of the time. Um, and so a good pairing I love. And so I think that people underestimate pairing beer with seafood. And we have the Purpose Pilsner, which I think is perfect with seafood. Yeah. And so the Chula Seafood, 
I love I I love their food. And then when I have it with a Pilsner, and there's not a lot of food you can pair with Pilsner that makes it really good. Like it's really easy to pair a pale ale or an IPA with something really hearty and rich, and it's just like this beautiful combination. Mm-hmm. But but seafood is so delicate and light that it's difficult to pair a good beer with. And our Pilsner, I think, is a really delicious pairing with their food. Awesome. So, Very nice. That's why I chose it. And at the time, I was loving their seafood. Have you participated in any of those, uh, like, beer versus wine? Yes. Did you do one of those? We did. Okay. How'd it go? <laughs> well, to our defense, <laughs> the wine, it was a French dinner. Okay. And the wine was the owner's vineyard. Um, but... Mm. We actually did pretty well. Yeah. Um, and there was, there were, we put the Belgian, um, there was pate, and we had the Belgian with the pate, and I thought that was delightful. Um, and then we had lobster with the Pilsner, and I thought that was also delightful. And then the stout with the dessert was also delicious. Yeah. But I, I think, I think to your point, the uh, food and beer pairing is this like completely underrated element even in fine dining mm-hmm. uh, everyone always goes to wine mm-hmm. and you know I like wine the differences between different styles of wine can be so subtle that if you don't have the palate for it it's just not like it, it doesn't feel accessible like if I have a steak with a a cab or with a pinot like I don't I'm sure you don't know the difference, I know there's right? a difference, yeah. but I I don't I don't taste the difference. Mm-hmm. But if I have a steak with an IPA or a steak with a a stout, which is actually not a bad combination, mm-hmm. um, there's a very different experience you're mm-hmm. having, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a much wider array of flavor profiles, in my opinion, for beer. Uh, anywhere from a mango creamsicle, whatever it is. To a to right to a, a pilsner or a stout or right. an IPA like there's all these different things you can do with beer whereas with wine it's just so much more subtle and I think I man I I did one of those beer versus wine and every single one I was like beer the beer's better the beer's better <laughs> it, it goes better it it, it complemented the flavors better mm-hmm. so I I totally agree with you and. Um, for a second, I need to plug our rosemary IPA. Do it because rosemary it sounds IPA sounds like it's with perfect steak with steak. Yeah, is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, and I didn't actually realize this. So, before we opened this location, and I was still doing these like pop up events and stuff, I did a dinner with Cloth and Flame, and uh, we had our rosemary IPA with steak there, and it was the first time I had eaten a steak with our rosemary IPA. I, rosemary IPA is an old homebrew recipe too. So her story is our Pilsner, rosemary, the harvest. Um, there's a, the Chappelle. There's a few like that are kind of pop popped in there that are from old homebrew days. And um, the rosemary was, uh, at the time we were brewing this one, we were brewing 30, 30 gallons. So it was one barrel, but um, we were separating them into four carboys. So we'd have four carboys at the end. And so every time we would brew, we'd have a little bit different, we'd put something different in each carboy. So sometimes that was yeast to decide what's the best yeast to use in this beer. Um, Sometimes it was the hops at the very end, like the dry hop. Um, And then this time it was the garden series. 
and it was we added basil, thyme, um, rosemary, and I think like cilantro, lime, or something like that. I forget what the fourth one was, but the rosemary was so delicious. It was always on tap in my garage. I always had rosemary IPA. I had the her story and um, the rosemary IPA all, at all times. Well, I was going to ask Ed, is that so? It's named after the actual ingredient, the the yes. the, the, the plant, then. it is, and yes. not not like a person's name or something, right? It's, it's we've kind of like cla- combined them. So okay. we just canned that for the first time. We just launched it two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and what is that like a West Coast style IPA? It is, yeah. It's okay. actually super traditional. We use Centennial, Cascade, Amarillo, mm-hmm. Amarillo, Amarillo um, hops. So super easy to find. Very like standard, old, classic West Coast style hops, and um, and then we what really sh- makes it shine is the rosemary, and uh, and and that beer is. It was the first beer that I drank after having a baby. It was, you know, it's one of my favorite beers that we have That's at amazing. Greenwood. Um, and I'm so excited we have it in cans now because people have wanted that accessible. But to your point, um, Johan, we were, we bottle that beer and, or we are starting to bottle that beer. And it's a 16 ounce bottle, beautiful. It's meant to not compete with wine, but be a second option to people in restaurants and fine dining that may not want wine. You know, when I go to, um, (laughs) (laughs) when I go to Mastro's, like, I I just drink a Manhattan. I say neutral. So Manhattan, (laughs) Manhattan's are delicious too. Um, but when I go to Mastro's, it's always funny. Like I always feel bad for the server because when I go, I'm very specific about the food that I want and I always drink beer and they want to sell me a bottle of oh, wine, yeah. you know, but I'm always drinking a beer when I go there and um, I drink it with the lobster bisque and it's so amazing and delicious. <laughs> and, um, and that, the, but the beer, you know, there's such an opportunity for somebody to come and bring you, present you with this beautiful beer that took, you know, a lot of effort and love and delicacy too to make it um we actually hand bottle all of our bottles here and 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 present it just the way that you'd present a wine you know and it could be a little bit more expensive at the restaurant um and and then it's you know locally made hand bottled and everything that'd be great if they brought over like the keg like they do the bottle of wine be like how does this do you sir (laughs) they present it to you they you like i need to see the cork on that the the bottle cap right um so i I got a good question here because seeing you talk about having the rosemary ipa your first beer after pregnancy um your eyes lit up you know you so it's like a it's like a, a, a beer you're going to remember always, right? So we, I think, and guys come up with these things all the time. Like, what are your, what are the top beers? You know, like a camping beer or like cleaning out the garage beer or a lawnmower beer or whatever. Where do you rank the post-pregnancy beer? <laughs> How does that rank? Is that, is that like a top five oh beer now to you? Oh my for sure. Yeah? You just spent nine months growing yes. a baby and without <laughs> having a full glass of beer. I mean... That's like top five of top, life. Top five, I feel yeah. Like. Okay. Yeah, especially okay. being like our first baby. I own a brewery. Um, <laughs> you know, I love beer. So, yeah. 
You you just had to trust your staff that your beer was tasting fine for the last yeah, nine months. It's, yeah, it's true. We're gonna have to update those lists that we see on <laughs> on social media all the time that people yeah. rank their. You know, these are top five beers, like an airport beer. You know, it's like that's the number one beer for a lot of people. An but. airport beer at like seven in the morning. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because yeah. there's. Because time has no meaning in the airport, in the airport that's so right. there's a no free, rules. A free beer ranks up there. Yeah. Um, but now we know a post-pregnancy beer. Yeah. That yes. is absolutely is true. up there. Yeah. There you go. I mean. It needs to be included. Uh, I, I totally agree. <laughs> and if you ask women, a lot of women crave beer during pregnancy. Sure. Because you're craving this like bubbly, light, bright drink and women that don't drink a lot of beer crave beer during mm-hmm. pregnancy so really? to have a beer after is just like it's you've had a nine month craving yeah. and you're fulfilling it yeah. imagine that and it's <laughs> one of the only cravings that you're like straight up not allowed to right. just indulge. go for yeah, yeah. indulgence so. why well, i always awesome. think i always think i'm like solving my craving when like candy bar milk stout comes oh. out or fade or something and you guys you guys do anything like that like any crazy stouts or anything do you have any plans for stuff like that this um, winter we are doing a white stout this winter Ooh. Um, and that we're we're really excited about that's um what's kind of like the flavor profile of that i don't know yet okay. we haven't brewed one we haven't brewed it yet okay. so um we're still developing the recipe but Love we just that. went out to some of our customers to see if they like the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll be launching that. We've we've launched um, like a pecan porter in the past, uh, but no, I'd say our stout is one of my favorite beers that uh, to style that we have. So I think that the that sole stout, oatmeal stout, right? The sole oatmeal yeah. stout is, in my opinion, is one of the best beers we make that's truest to style. And um, it's a really, really delicious stout, I think. Um, and it's very popular. So we yeah. kind of, we kind of keep that beer at all times. It's our flagship. Now. And that one's going to be pouring to... at uh, beer fest. Yeah. Right. Yes. Next, next oh Saturday. yeah. That's right. Yes. Any plans to ever do like a barrel program? Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of, so we have 972 square feet in this brewery. Um, so it's smaller than some of your bedrooms in your homes, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but we, we would love to, you yeah. know, so uh, this is, this brewery is built to be uh, kind of a, for the pub, you know, for the beer gardens and for our tap room. It's not necessarily meant for production, but we are production brewing out of here. So uh, I come from production. So that is really where my mindset is in growth for Greenwood is when, so when we were talking with Total Wine, when you said, Matt, that um, we were in Total Wine, you were surprised. So when we went and met with Total Wine, she, um, the woman who makes the decisions there, she was saying that, you know, I, I, I'm surprised. I hear this all the time. Breweries come in to me and they have this popular beer and they want to sell it in the market. And you don't have any idea how to sell it in the market. And you don't have any idea how to fulfill and maintain and make sure that your beer is staying on our shelves and all this stuff. And, and, and also production because a lot of people overcommit, a lot of breweries will overcommit and they will. uh, And that's one of the, I'd say one of the biggest mistakes you can make is selling a product and then not being able to fulfill the order. And, but I come from manufacturing. So that's really where my, 
my bread and butter is in this brewery is in the process um, all the way to the sale and making sure that we are fulfilling the orders and making sure that we're, you know, supply chain is there and everything. And, um, and so when we talked to her about that, it was, this is my background. This is our future is having production, having our beer available in your fridge instead of, and we want you to come to our tap room. Of course, we want you to drink our beer, but we're never going to be oh so where we have 10 locations and you're drinking our beer and having a restaurant. I love Oso, um, so I don't mean that in any wrongdoing. I, but that's just not our business model. Our business model is to have production beer so that you can enjoy it outside of our tap room too. Yeah. And, um, and, and so for that reason, we will need to probably grow out of this space. Um, and I'm hoping that we actually are reaching our capacity by the end of next year and uh, where we will need more space. And so when that happens, hopefully a barrel program will happen. Love that. Exciting. Yeah. Exciting. In there, um, they, I know they submitted to the Arizona Craft Beer Awards that we judged a month ago. Yep. And we're going to announce uh, those winners coming up on Friday night, October 21st at a yep. ceremony held yeah. by the uh, Arizona Craft Brewers Guild. Yeah. And uh, then the festival the next day on Saturday, October 22nd out at Heritage Sportsman Park, the Great Lawn State Farm Stadium. Johan's been setting that up behind the scenes. Greenwood is going to be there pouring, um, I think, three different beers. Yep. That Oatmeal Stout's one of them. And um, dozens of other breweries. What else can you tell us about that, Johan? It's... I think it's going to be a beer festival unlike uh, others that we've seen in Arizona. Um, the amount of seating, the amount of shaded seating, uh, the VIP space is going to be really, really exceptional. No porta johns, real bathrooms. Inviting Ooh. bathrooms, all of Greenwood style. Uh, nice. Yeah, very excited bring, about that. Bring your significant um, other. I mean, men and women yeah. both at this place. So. And it's just, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a very comfortable beer festival. It's going to be, uh, it's just going to be a good time. Good food. Um, we'll have barbecue there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and seafood. Actually, look at that. All of the <laughs> you above. sure you don't want to bring your Pilsner if you're not already? We. Um, it's almost like we scripted that. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's There funny. will be seafood and barbecue. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great time. We're very excited. Um, a week from tomorrow. I don't know when you're releasing this episode, but uh, uh, my my sleepless nights have already begun. Uh, and um, so this beer was very much needed. Yeah. Tonight. So yeah. Johan a favor <laughs> so he can sleep. Go on to yeah. azcraftbeer.com, buy a ticket so Johan can sleep at night. Yeah, azcraftbeer. Um, Megan was telling us before we started recording, she's super excited that competition has come back. Why is that? I have been asking for Arizona competition since we became part of the Brewers Guild. And, uh, you know, as a small brewery, it's so, so important to get feedback. And we get feedback from our customers, but we don't get uh, judging feedback unless we go to national co competitions. And national competitions are great, but they are very expensive for a small brewery. Right. Um, very expensive to submit. It's multiple, it's multiple hundreds of dollars to submit, and then you have to ship and get your beer there. And half the time you don't actually know if it's your beer, the style, 
or if it's the actual packaging, maybe something happened in packaging or maybe your packaging isn't as good when it travels across states to get to the next, um, to three states over. Uh, and so for us to have local, a local competition where we can get feedback on our style styles of beer, um, is so important for us to continue to improve. And so I'm so excited that we're getting some feedback um, about and being able to compete uh, with our Arizona breweries. It's also great for our publicity, for people to know who we are. Um, you know, when you go to GAB at Great American Beer Festival, and if you get an award, it's like, it's a huge, huge deal. deal. And, and, but it's also, it's also really, really hard to get one. So yeah. people don't know you're submitting a beer with sometimes two, 2,000 other entries yeah. um, of breweries across the country that are like 40-year yeah. breweries. So yeah. um, your competition is is very, very high. Whereas for us to be able to compete locally and just see how we do across, how, how does our beer taste yeah. to judges? And getting that kind of feedback is just, it's awesome. I'm well, so I think happy. The other, the other awesome thing about it, uh, and we were talking about this earlier, is that you know we're we're providing all this feedback to the to brewers here locally that they can then take back and say okay um you know maybe this beer was missing this piece of the style guideline that it's you know that we wanted to to fit into so let's tweak some things let's let's tweak our our recipes a little bit and then the next year they submit the, that beer into a national competition like GABF and it does better Right. And maybe it wins at something that it didn't win before because it didn't get the feedback. And, right. and you're right. I mean, when when you have a, a category like hazy IPAs at GABF that has like, you know, five, six hundred entries just into that you style. You get lost in the shuffle. For you sure. get lost in the shuffle. Whereas, you know, I mean, obviously we're going to grow, but, you know, we had 150 beers submitted total. So every beer got a lot of attention. And mm -hmm. and we were very specific about telling the judges, like, provide actual feedback, like actionable feedback, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so yeah. that it's not just yay or, or not enough carbonation or just like something kind of like give give something a little bit more um, so that and, and we hope to continue that culture throughout year after year that like you submit a, a beer into the ACBA, like you're going to. You're going to get something back. We had real serious judges, yeah. too. I mean, I was a part of it, and I'm very amateur. I've never judged beer. But the guy sitting next to me was I described to me as the top beer judge in the entire country. So that was very exciting. Yeah, wow. I mean, we had the president yeah. of the BJCP there. Yeah. Um, we, we had all had, kinds of home brewers. Yeah, I mean, we it was different um, professional brewers. It was a really, really good, solid mix. A couple of chefs wow. who have a different kind of palate, but yeah. still very, you know, very well developed palate. So it was, it was a, it was a great experience. Um, you know, Matt was telling me earlier today that the first year of GABF, they had it what, was twenty breweries and like 80 at the beers festival or and eighty. Yeah. yeah, really. So we have we have one hundred and fifty submitted into the awards. We have uh, about twenty eight breweries participating in the festival. So. We're already ahead of GABF on year Woo! one. Let me tell you. Yeah. That's right. That's our somewhere. Love that. That's our somewhere. So, no, we're very excited. And we're excited to hear that, that you know, the local brewers are, are just as excited. You know, we really want this to be something that elevates the Arizona beer community as a whole. Absolutely. So. It only will. You know, I think you were saying earlier, Johan, that 
it will, once we, we knowing, getting feedback and being able to develop our beer in better is only going to make all of us better. Yeah. You know, high tide raises all ships or something. Yeah. That's, I think I was saying or something. Um, same thing, you know, we are together. Arizona needs to represent better, I think, at these awards. Yeah. Um, and so having something local to at least understand what is our best beer? Yeah. We don't even know that ourselves. Sure. So sure. being able to just at least have some of that feedback yeah. and know how to fix it, know how to fix and make our beer better um, is so important. Yeah. So awesome. I'm so happy you are doing this. Thank yeah. you. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's our pleasure to put it on and yeah. um, check out more on Greenwood in the latest issue of Phoenix Magazine. Yep. Their beer is actually on the cover. Yeah, uh, we did. Is... We uh, I think our editor had to take off the uh, the Greenwood logo, but that is a Greenwood. <laughs> we didn't beer want to show too much on... favoritism, <laughs> and it's uh, the, your bartender's hand on on the cover too. Yeah, it's our top room manager Christian. He's famous. Is it's he signing name. copies at yeah, all? He yeah, sure is. Yep, <laughs> signing copies. Yeah, and that's our rosemary IPA right on the front cover. We are competing with that. I think that is a beautiful looking beer. Uh, beer, beautiful cover, and we thank Greenwood for joining us on this episode. And uh, introducing uh, me to some of their new styles and or some I'm of their gonna, existing I'm gonna go styles I just haven't tried. But. Mango thing. I'm very excited about there it. There you go. Johan's, Johan's going to yeah. get into a, a new beer he hasn't tried. And that, yeah. that's what this is all about. We that's love right. we love new beers. We love meeting uh, new people. Megan, thank you for having us. Thank you for thank you for coming. <laughs>